Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Desert Isolation Discs. My guest today is... Well, my own mother. <laughs> um, Heather Lawson is a designer, has been a teacher, is a mother, was a daughter and a sister. And uh, most importantly today is my guest on Desert Isolation Discs. Mother, hello. Hello there, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> this rather surreal scenario, sat in the uh, computer room of our house in Nottingham. Um, but obviously it's Desert, Desert Isolation Disc today, but there is a programme with a similar name that you're a big fan of. Indeed. Uh, what do you think people's approach to that programme is and how does that compare to what you're going to do today? Well, of course, I've been waiting for this call for a long time. I'm tempted to call you Kirsty. Oh, how did that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, you see, I love listening, and I think you get some people who've got great lives, dreadful music, and people who've obviously just immersed in music, but they don't have much else really to say. Uh, people who've maybe never listened to a new piece of music since they were 25. And so I've always thought, how on earth do you keep <laughs> this list frozen almost and of course you can't so I'm looking at my choice today it differs massively from what I would have chosen five years ago <laughs> even more from ten years ago so let's see how it's turned out today and maybe we'll revisit this point <laughs> and, you, and you've had the you've had parties haven't you where you've picked yeah, it out yeah, with your, really with your friends parties and yeah we've chosen things I've insulted people about their choices <laughs> um, and so what's the what's the first track you've got today for people to oh, be able okay, to either to, uh, appreciate abuse, or insult yeah. all right well this is going right back to sort of childhood and teens and thinking about my dad who loved to sing and I guess I've inherited that from I'm not a good singer uh, but I love lyrics I love knowing the lyrics to songs it massively increases my appreciation of a piece of music and he loved most of all Ella Fitzgerald he had that series of albums the Gershwin songbook the mm. Cole Porter songbook and the Rogers and Hart songbook from which this track comes uh, they're now actually very sought after um, mm. I see great prizes for them on Amazon um, pity we didn't keep them when he died. Uh, but anyway, I've chosen Manhattan. In a way, I could have chosen any Ella Fitzgerald song. But Manhattan, because I visited New York for the first time this year, so that will bring me bang up to date as well. <laughs> Great news. Thanks, Let's hear Summer journeys to Niagara and to other places aggravate all our cares. We'll save our fares. A cozy little flat in what is known as Old Manhattan We'll settle down right here in town We'll have Manhattan, the Bronx and Staten Island too It's lovely going through Ella Fitzgerald with Manhattan there. 
So you mentioned that that was one of your dad's favourite artists. Um, you grew up in Sheffield. What, what were the circumstances of your childhood? You, you grew up with your dad and your grandma. Yes, my mum had died when I was three. My sister was just a baby. So a um, bit of an unusual household, actually, in the 1960s. I mean, I really hardly knew anyone else with only one parent. Um, and certainly, if they only had one parent, it was because one had died. Very strange, really, compared with today. Um, yeah. Were you aware of that fact? Oh, know, absolutely, yeah. You know, it felt very strange not to have a mother. Um, but anyway, I won't dwell on that. Um, but my dad, obviously, in that way, was more of a, a force in all parts of my life. And, you know, as I say, he was, uh, you know, he had lots to feel sad about, but he was a great singer and he was very funny around the house and, you know, when we went on holidays and things. So, yeah, I remember him singing with great affection. But in fact, the whole Ella Fitzgerald thing, when I hit the dreadful teens, um, <laughs> and I started to listen to Billie Holiday, I can't, and I can't actually quite remember where I discovered her but I do mm. remember being absolutely obsessed with Billie Holiday I loved Gloomy Sunday and Strange <laughs> Fruit and and so I would say to dad oh Ella Fitzgerald she's so sanitized she's so clean you know you mm. want the real voice the real black voice <laughs> and, and he would just sort of you know dismiss it but she sings so much better or, or he wouldn't even argue with me you mm. know so I was tut under my breath so it seems quite odd in a way now that I've actually decided I'd have an Ella Fitzgerald to sing along to instead of one of those gorgeous Billy songs. And what about your grandma? What was her influence? And how about going to the farm on holiday? Oh, well, of course, that was the other side of the family. Mm. Going to the farm was going to see my mum's relatives mm. and, and, you know, praise to my daddy, made sure we kept in touch with them. And so we used to stay with my maternal granny up there in the northeast and have a fabulous time on the farm. I used to love the farm <laughs> kittens and, you know, feeding lambs. And, yeah, no, it was great fun. Uh, my grandma, who lived with us, I had a, had a much harder gig because she had to be quite strict. She was, you know, well into her 70s, ready for retirement, all of a sudden looking after two young girls. So... I always remembered her as being a bit strict, but then I realised I, I learned so much from her cooking. She's very creative, very good needlewoman, very good knitter. Mm. So loads of things like that. I'm probably more like her, in, actually, than my other granny. So mm. in, in a way, it's sad. She died when I was about 10. And, you know, it's sad when you aren't able to revisit your past and say to people... Oh, thank you, you know, yeah. you didn't have the best of times with me. It would have been a lot better if, you know, we'd yeah. have met one another another ten years later. So, um, But I can't truthfully say I remember anything musical to do with my granny <laughs> at all. So, my grandma at all. So I'm not sure we can go down that. <laughs> so what's the next track? Oh, well, the next track. And, you know, this is totally my heart on my sleeve. I will never stop listening to Joni Mitchell. I think she is such a fabulous fabulous songwriter a great singer as well I mean maybe not as good now as she was but I mean and I love listening to other people cover her songs because they're so beautifully crafted so again the choice of, of track is endless I, I first discovered Joni Mitchell when I was about 15 or 16 and the album Court and Spark was released and I think I remember correctly that that was the first album of hers that really reached widespread recognition. 
may have even had a single in the charts. She'd recorded Blue, which of course is the classic Joni Mitchell mm. album, but I think Court and Spark brought a sort of slightly more populist sound. And I loved it, really loved it. And then after that, uh, I went on to buy every album as it came out, but also because there was this back catalogue of possibly four, five, six albums, you know, like Blue, mm. Ladies of the Canyon, um, that was accessible there and then. So that was fabulous. Uh, Song for Sharon comes from Hijira, which is the album I associate with my A-levels, sitting in the <laughs> living room of our house, listening to Joni Mitchell, more to blank out everything else that was going on in the house mm. and focusing on, you know, whatever hideousness I had to revise. It's a great song. It's a, a song about, you know, being a young woman and marriage or career sadness happiness some really truly beautifully written lines and it just meanders on with this you know wonderful guitar but for me obviously centrally as the lyric <laughs> fantastic let's hear it i went to Staten island Sharon, to buy myself a mandolin and i saw the long white dress of love on a storefront mannequin Big boat chugging back with a belly full of cars All for something lacy Some girl's gonna see that dress and crave that day like crazy That was a song for Sharon there by Joni Mitchell. Uh, so we got a taste of the angsty teenage Heather, oh, Revise of Ray level. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell us about that time and um, did a certain father of mine come into your life around Indeed, that time? Indeed, <laughs> too early in the sense. Good job it didn't happen to any of you. Uh, yeah, Ken and I met when I was only 15. So all, you know, this Joni Mitchell period, yeah, mm. that's, that was true of... Uh, of him too, but Ken introduced me to Led Zeppelin. I mean, one thing we've always had in common is a love of music and, you know, some crossover in our tastes as well. Mm. And I'd never come across Led Zeppelin because I was very much, you know, purist, singer-songwriter, sort of folky-type sound. Um, and I just thought, oh, you know, this is the heavy metal group that the boys in my class <laughs> talk about. So intent on proving otherwise, he played me Stay Away to Heaven, which I still think is a great song. <laughs> it feels quite cheesy now because it's been covered and played so often. But I've chosen Ramble On, which, and, oh, I might be making a mistake here. I think it comes from Zeppelin Four, like Stay Away to Heaven, mm. but don't quote me on that because it could be slightly earlier. Mm. But again, I like it. It starts in that quiet way. Robert Plant has a beautiful voice. I still like listening to him in his newer incarnations. Mm. Um, and then that sudden building and, you know, they're going to blast out and you're going to get a burst <laughs> of, you know, bass and drums. And, uh, and I like that, yeah. And before we hear it, um, what was that? Obviously, you, you met at a party, didn't you? And, yeah, and your yeah. first date was uh, ten, playing tennis. Oh, yes, which <laughs> nobody, of course, can believe now, as I'm so unsporty, and I can, can't really believe it of myself either. <laughs> but, yeah, that was quite a long first date, mm. a game of tennis, um, a trip to the fair, which happened to be going on across town, and then finally this um, playing of Stairway to Hell. <laughs> so, you Blues. know, music was in there right from the very beginning. Uh, yeah, and we met... 
at a party. We danced to um, The Jean Genie by David Bowie, which mm-hmm. is still our song. Uh, pity I haven't chosen it. I hope we don't get into trouble about that. So hopefully this Zeppelin track will um, <laughs> make up for that. Pave over that. OK, yeah. let's hear it. Sometimes I grow so tired But I know I'm Ramble on by Led Zeppelin there. Uh, so that was uh, the the young courtship of, of the Lawsons as they were to become. <laughs> and, yes, uh, I was still a tailor then. <laughs> <laughs> so as a tailor, um, you were working. Uh, you were working in a shop in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah there mm. was this great shop and. Uh, Fitting in with our musical theme, mm. um, it was called Freewheeling, mm. you know, although I didn't recognise it as a Bob Dylan title at the time. And then um, Pete, who owned the shop, uh, opened a second branch of the shop across the road, which was called Another Side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he had been saving up his best title for his um, biggest and best shop which he opened a bit later on and that was called bring it all back home a name apparently he'd registered <laughs> some years before with a view to i mean what i should explain was um pete had been a textile um student at leeds university mm. studied dyeing and all sorts of things and as a result wanted to travel to india which he did and either the idea for the the shop and being able to bring you know great fabulous things back from India and make a good profit came mm. from that or um, or maybe the love of the textiles but mm. all I know is he opened this great shop selling Indian print clothing which mm. I adored and various home items cards you know incense mm. um, and I used to visit it so very regularly that he asked me one day if I'd like a job there <laughs> and I guess he was savvy enough to realise that he was never going to give me much by way of wages because I would have spent it all Mm. in said shop Um, and I had a lovely time there I met some I met another student and she and her partner and Ken and I became really close friends Mm. Um, he also employed a couple of older women who had small children and that was a revelation chatting Mm. to you know remember this was you know days of early feminism Mm. early 1970s mid 70s and you know these two feisty women labour supporters about 30 Mm. absolute revelation to me and um i used to babysit for one of them Mm. and she was great and she was the first person to say to pete hey you're not paying us enough and if you want us to wear the clothes and look the part give us them at cost you know she was fabulous (laughs) so all of a sudden we were all dolled up in these fabulous you know indian print um wrap over skirts and Mm. um you know afghan oh i remember i had this beautiful afghan 
sort of tribal dress, sort of very heavily patterned bodice, <laughs> and then falling a great dress. I can still picture me. In me. Um, and people used to come in and say, "Oh, that's a great dress. Have you got some of those in?" And and we did sell them for him. So mm. she was right. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, the soundtrack to all of this, of course, mm. was Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, uh, a band called Orleans, which. I can't really think that anyone ever talks about anymore, but I did like them. <laughs> but it, but no, I hadn't really heard any Bob Dylan prior to this. It was mm. just about the time that he recorded Blood on the Tracks and then Desire. So mm. a kind of, for him, a, a re-blossoming of his career. Um, but again, then you could go back and listen to Blonde on Blonde or Bring It All Back Home, which is a favourite mm. album of mine. Um, yeah, so so that was great. But one artist who I absolutely adored, and and Pete was—I mean, remember this was the days tape was in its <laughs> still in its infancy. So that was the medium that was very modern, mm. and you know, making compilation tapes or copying tapes for one another—that was the big deal. Mm. And so Pete was kind enough to make tapes of these Jackson Brown albums that he had. And I love Jackson Brown. Again, it's a lyric, isn't it? You know, for some people it'll be about the guitar, but for me, I think, again, he's a great songwriter. And, of course, the classic album was The Pretender, which, you know, I think doesn't have a duff track on it. And remember, when you have a, an album and you've got to turn it over, you know, <laughs> every track's got to work it for it, you know, work to be listened to. Um, yeah, so I've chosen The Pretender, the title track from that album, and uh, which has a favourite line of mine. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's listen out for that. I'm gonna find myself a girl who can show me what love means and we'll fill in the missing colours in each other's paint by number dreams And then we'll put our dark glasses on And we'll make love until our strength is gone When the morning light comes streaming in We'll get up and do it again Get it up again I'm gonna Jackson Brown there with the title track from The Pretender, uh, talking about his uh, paint box. Um, so, Heather Lawson, um, that was uh, in 1976, and the following year uh, you got married and two years later had a little boy called Gareth. So that must have been quite a tumultuous time, but a happy one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, now when I look back and think, you know, getting married in the middle of university, age 19, having my first baby just shy of 22. It just seems ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And I was mm. 
quite lonely, actually, when Gareth was tiny because most of my university friends had very sensibly gone on to get jobs and <clears throat> were out all day. Uh, but, yes, I mean, it, uh, you know, it. well, we survived. <laughs> we had a nice little house. Mm. And, um, and, yeah, and those were the times when... Uh, the majority of women, I wouldn't say gave up their jobs, but didn't work when their children were tiny. Mm. So there was this massive um, resource of other women around with small children. So I made some of my best friends then, friends that you, it's difficult to make later on because mm. you've got the time to listen to one another. You've got this really central um, experience in your life of bringing up a tiny baby. Um I don't know, you just share a lot more, you hmm. have, say, time to really talk to one another. Uh, so, yes, and great friends. And and how did you marry that together with your other passions and your studying at the same time? You must have had to juggle. Uh, well, of course, things. I wasn't studying anymore when I had Gareth. I hmm. mean, being married and studying, that was fine. Hmm. Um, no, so I had a, a year... Oh, and then I did go back to university and do a PGC. Mm. So, yeah, that was a bit of juggling, you know, some childcare, obviously, and uh, being at school, you know, working hard. Yeah, that, that was a toughish year. And then, of course, mm. I wimped out totally the next year. <laughs> Instead of getting a job, had another baby. <laughs> <laughs> so Imogen came along, and then uh, a few days later, you moved from Sheffield, your hometown, to Nottingham. How big were those two things, those two decisions, I guess. Yes, I mean, I suppose overlaying that, although, you know, we didn't realise it would happen at the time, was my father's sudden death. Mm. So um, Ken was at a stage in his career when, you know, he was ready for a promotion, he was being looked at for a promotion, and, you know, that was probably going to lead to a move. Um, but as I say, that that coincided, as it turned out, with my father dying of, you know, a heart attack, so there, it, there was a lot of change, you know, some mm. of it more positive than the other. But I suppose, I mean, when I left Sheffield, I left my sister there. So mm. th there was that still that big tie, but it did feel as though it was one door closing. Um, and I mean, it's not very far to Nottingham, let's be honest, is it? No. It's another town, perhaps a bit smaller, but, you know, similar kind mm. of feel to it. Um, and, you know, because I'd inherited some money, we were able to buy, well, the house we still live in mm. at a relatively young age. You know, it seems strange now to think of us as, you know, 27, 30 in this really big, quite, really quite big house, mm. you know. Um, so that was exciting, I, you know, um, initially a little bit lonely, mm. um, leaving those friends, making new ones. But again, two small children, easy to make friends, you know, nursery school, school gates and then what's another thing you can do you can have a new baby <laughs> and then you meet all sorts of other you know friends. and actually we, so really i was just a social exactly tool. <laughs> I thought, you know oh damn it i'm just gonna have another have to have another baby <laughs> no no you were very thought about because the third child to me is quite a indulgence mm. but um one were well worth taking obviously oh well, I'm, um, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> <laughs> but yes um um, yeah, I, I mean, moving to Nottingham was really good for me, actually, because it freed us from just being able to fall back and rely on family in Sheffield. My sister mm. or Ken's mum were very willing to babysit. Mm. So 
I wasn't really relying on those resources that friendship can bring. And in Nottingham, we joined a babysitting circle and all of a sudden we started to make a lot of really good friends. You know, not just me and another mother, but the two of us as a couple and another couple and another couple. So, you know, well, the friends that you know were, mm. as family friends, were, were uh, we met them at that period in our lives. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that. A little bit later, I think. But yes. what's the next song oh, okay. that you've um, Well, of course, the next song's a massive confession. <laughs> mm. um, and Well, no, not a confession, but another aspect of music listening for me is uh, singing and dancing. Mm. I've got to have something on the island that I can dance to. Mm. And, of course, it'll come as no surprise to you that the thing that always gets me onto the dance floor is um, wake me up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wham! Yeah, uh, got to have that at any point. <laughs> mm. uh, and then there's also the fabulous "Rescue Me" by Fontana Bass. That's another massive favourite of mine. Mm. Uh, could really and probably should really have chosen a Fleetwood Mac "Rumours" track mm. because that was the soundtrack to Ken and me moving into our second house. Everybody had "Rumours" and the other <laughs> Fleetwood Mac album <laughs> at the time. And some of those tracks, you know, "You Make Loving Fun," "Don't Stop," were great dance to mm. but in fact um i've decided to choose ian brown's version of billy jean and i'm not sure why most people don't prefer this to michael <laughs> jackson's i can't see a good reason for having michael jackson very similar artists of course indeed indeed mm -hmm. um but this will give me the memories of you and gareth dancing along to Ian Brown. Possibly not Billy Jean, quite often a track called When Dolphins Were Monkeys. <laughs> Monkeys. In the Mancunian. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take this so that I can dance, so that I can think of my boys, mm. and I can use my northern vowels to great effect. <laughs> <laughs> Told me her name was Billy Jean, it's across the scene heavy head with eyes to dream being the inimitable Ian Brown there with a version of Billie Jean you might not be as familiar with. Um, so, uh, so obviously you'd moved to Nottingham and um, one of, you know, my favourite memories from childhood is um, growing up and before I went to school, you ran a business making curtains and we used to go around to your clients' houses and we also used to go into what would become my school. Um, so you've obviously always had quite an entrepreneurial spirit and uh, and having worked in the shop you know got that eye for it uh, and now you set up your own um business designing uh, amongst other things soft furnishing and cards uh, and cushions uh, so how 
what gives you that drive to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to do it? Well, you know, that's funny because I think at school, I mean, without being too uh, boastful, I was, you know, a clever girl, mm. did well in my exams. So clever girls who did well in exams did not do things like sewing and, you know, needle craft. Whatever. Mm. They went to university and did English as I did or something similar. Um, so the whole practical side of things was very much downplayed, but I was always a keen sewer. I used to make a lot of my own clothes, mm. a lot of clothes for you children, um, quite a lot of knitting as well. And we were always strapped for cash, you know, on one salary. So I used to sell bits and pieces like that at craft fairs or the like, mm. or to friends. I used to have coffee mornings at my house, I remember. Um... And it was just a way of making enough money to go on holiday. Hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a, a very smart friend of mine, who I'd met through toddler group as ever, uh, hmm. suggested I make some curtains for her living room. And I was horrified. I'm thinking, well, you know, why would you want me to? And she said, but look at your curtains. They're all great. And, you know, <laughs> she said, I'm sure you've got as much skill as the girl in Laura Ashley, who I would be paying the money to. <laughs> and she very generously paid me exactly what she was going to pay to Laura Ashley to make her these curtains mm. um, and they looked fabulous I was quite impressed I'd, wor <laughs> I'd worked hard you know I was quite mm. conscientious and quite scared of wasting this fabric mm. and they looked great and then all of a sudden we were moving that you know this happened just mm. before we were about to leave Sheffield so it kind of, you know, fell into abeyance. And then I guess I started making stuff for our house all over again. And people started coming round. And the same thing happened, really. You know, they'd say, oh, do you make... Oh, can you make some for me? And so I decided, um, you know, why not have a business? And, of course, being able to sew fitted in with being at home. You mm. know, I remember I did used to... Um, uh, use a childminder so, so that you would go there for a couple of afternoons so I could get on and really make a couple you know make a <laughs> pair of curtains in an afternoon I remember you had the biggest bedroom because the other two were up at the top of the house and I used to push all the furniture to the edge of the room <laughs> and lay out these curtains and then at sort of three o'clock burst around getting the room back to normal and go back I did used to hold the tape measure sometimes indeed you did <laughs> it came to an end with the recession of the early 90s mm. and in fact by that time you were at school and I thought oh I could get a job outside of the home mm. so that business then went into abeyance uh, I became a teaching assistant and mm. that was a good job because of holidays obviously mm. uh, and when I then thought I would really like to be my own boss all over again mm. I thought I don't really want to be crawling around the floor measuring curtain hems anymore I want to do something more yeah. creative I want to explore the fact that I love vintage fabrics antique fabrics mm. and and so yeah so the second business was all about um making soft furnishing items cushions lampshades bags cards as you say mm. um and more and more exclusively using vintage textiles now of course it's that coincided with every everyone's <laughs> <laughs> copying the, the idea but it did but uh but you i mean you've just celebrated 10 years of doing it mm -hmm. um and one of your best years yet i think how how have you managed to and standing at those stalls is no mean feat you know you sell at home but and online but also um significantly at fairs around yeah, the country yeah. and 
you know, some days it's uh, some days it's great, some days it's really tough. And one of the things I, that seems to keep you going is the community that's sort of built up around it and yeah. knowing your customers Hi. and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. How do you manage to keep going on that front? Yeah, well, because obviously these are different skills. You know, you've got the one skill that's appreciating mm. fabrics, seeing ones that'll sell, making them into something that'll sell. But then the other, going out there, selling yourself as well as the products, getting in touch with people marketing is quite different and yes. not something I really enjoy. But having said that, when I get to these fairs and customers are positive and you meet other stallholders who are, you know, a new network of friends, of mm. course it's lovely. And, and it is true that that's an the first time I've started to make some new friends mm. um sadly they usually live too far away for it to be a regular community yes. but but still it's something to look forward to when you've trogged down the motorway yeah, for absolutely. three hours so um so yeah I'm really enjoying that now mm. and you know sometimes I feel sad that I stayed in the teaching assistant role for as long as I did because mm. it seemed to be wasting quite a lot of my life and abilities to be truthful and then I think now the business has become so much more all-encompassing that I don't think it would have combined so well with, mm. you know, childcare and enjoying, mm. you know, having you all around. So that's how I tell my story now. <laughs> I think it was the right thing at the right time and this is the right thing now. Um, you know, and... And of course, there are dark days when <laughs> you've travelled the three hours and no one wants to buy anything you've taken. But, um, yeah, it, the, the, this year has ended on a good note, so we'll focus on that. <laughs> uh, and it's something definitely to be proud of. Um, so what's the next track that you've got for us? OK, well, this is just totally random, really, and, and it kind of illustrates what I was saying about people who, when they're isolated in their desert just need a piece of music they love for no other reason than they love it. Now, I really like Radiohead. I, I you know, I like Tom York's voice, um, some great lyrics, if, if you can fathom them. Hmm. And I was sitting at, I've, I've got a very good friend from a, you know, a very long-standing, very musical friend whose tastes are eclectic because she's a, a pianist, she's a fiddler. Um, she's a singer mm. but also of course she loves you know all things pop and so I'm sitting in her living room chatting away very interested in what she's saying and I'm suddenly arrested by the, these lyrics and I'm thinking well I know this song I know this voice it's Gillian Welsh but I know this song and it's not Gillian Welsh and it's <laughs> irritating me because you know she's still talking I'm supposed to be listening and in the end I have to say Liz I'm sorry but what's this song you know and she's oh I don't know it'll be something Joe's put on my iPod so she goes off because of course that at least these days you can immediately access yes said title so she comes back and she says oh it's called Black Star and it doesn't ring any bells but anyway because when I get home I think I know I've got this song so of course I type Black Star into my iTunes library and there it is Black Star Radiohead <laughs> fabulous but what an interesting combination because Gillian Welsh nothing like Radiohead she's got this clear voice so I can hear all the lyrics and this great track about being very depressed sadly but you're not surprised with the Radiohead <laughs> <laughs> but, but so here I am I'm able to take Radiohead mm. and Gillian Welsh on the one track mm. and just a great song really no no other reason really Blame it on the blame 
that was uh, Gillian Welsh with Black Star Radiohead cover, and we just watched an interesting video of her doing it at a a festival uh, covering that song. Um, So you've started going to festivals uh, with uh, (laughs) with, um, my dad, Ken, um, and... uh, over the last few years and how has your relationship developed over well since uh, since you got married and uh, and as, do you think the dynamic is still as it ever was in, in Gosh, what you that's a really each hard other question I thought <laughs> we were just doing about music that's a really hard question um, yeah I mean it's true because obviously when you've got small children, you need to be a team. You need mm. to sort of, you know, you quite a regimented life to get two mm. people out to work full time, three children off to school, whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, away at university, gone. <laughs> you know, because uh, in fact, the co- I, I started the business the year that Gareth left home on mm. the basis that it was a bedroom free for the work. <laughs> um yeah, so then, then it does change and you do, you know, as everybody says, look at one another and think, so, you know, the things yeah. we, we do still have in common. Mm. And yes, music listening, still a big thing, cinema going, uh, Scrabble playing, <laughs> <laughs> holidays, holidays are massive for Ken and I, we both work for our holidays. Um, but yeah, we discovered, let's be honest, the Latitude Festival, a non-threatening <laughs> festival for the middle class <laughs> And um, it's been great, actually. I really enjoyed it. Because, of course, apart from the music, you've got some um, interesting theatre. You've Mm. got the Radio 4 tent. I've listened to some, you know, nice people talking about their books. Um, Yeah, no, it's been a fixture. Mm. So... um, yeah, so that brings me on to um, the next act, Bon Iver. And I'm going to go with memories of seeing them live at Latitude when they had a fabulous stage set. I mean, obviously, at these outdoor festivals, you don't necessarily have the big mm. stage show. But they had a wonderful set, kind of ropey things hanging down, <laughs> all I can describe, which, when lit differently, could sort of you know, conjure up a sort of forest or a snowy landscape <laughs> or, or blood red for blood bank, which was one of the tracks that <laughs> I've chosen policy. I think it's a great track. Um, from a very talented man and his group. And so we're, you're going to be catapulted into this desert then. Yes. You'll have everything you need. Oh, uh, and these, obviously, these eight tracks. How do you think you'll cope? Obviously, we've talked about how you're pretty dexterous. Um, uh, no, <laughs> I've actually department. tried to uh, kill anything or build a, a useful shelter. How do you think you'll spend your time? Yeah, I guess 
you would need to sort of find something creative to do, really. Mm. And I guess I'll be going through the list of people that I didn't bring on the island and trying to bring to mind some of those songs. <laughs> um, it is. It's quite strange to think of, truth. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm hoping it won't be too hot and too sandy, because mm. sand is not a thing I'm very fond of. So... Um, but, I mean, in a day, I would say I have to have some isolation. Of course, mm. I'm used to working on my own. And I find, you know, if I'm constantly in other people's company, I do crave some solitude and some time to just, you know, mm. pooter around. But, I mean, that's quite a different thing, isn't it, from being marooned? <laughs> so I really don't know how I'll cope. Well, I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine, <laughs> but we'll try not to. Um, but and um, what's the final track you've got for us today? Yes, well, finally, I've chosen gorgeous Nick Cave. And, of course, I'll have to conjure up an image of him as he sings. I think he's got a fabulous voice. Of course, he's got a fabulous voice. He's such an odd character. His lyrics are, you know, quite off the wall sometimes um this is a track from the boatman calls which is an album i love and bought for me by you yeah thank you very much um interestingly and are we allowed to say the name of the other program mm. i first heard a nick cave a, a nick cave track on that <laughs> other program uh, it was into my arms which mm. comes from the boatman calls yeah. uh chosen by Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, who I have to say has not really been one of my favourite people to watch on TV, but but his choice was interesting, and this track really stood out. And as soon as the programme ended, I downloaded it um, and listened and listened to it. And I think you said, "Oh yeah, well the whole album is fabulous." And of course, mm. once you get the whole album, and this is where I think it's a shame now that people just download the odd track because often that obvious track yes. is not the one you're going to love in the end mm. so i've chosen are you the one i just love the the languorous way he sings the longing in it very romantic feel to it yeah it's a beautiful track well take that coat babe and throw it on the floor Um, so you've got your eight songs. If you had to just pick one to uh, pick from the, the wreckage <laughs> of the brain you arrived on, uh, what do you think it would be? 
Um, I'm going to go for Joni Mitchell. I know I'll never stop enjoying listening to that song. It's lived with me for a long time. Mm. And it's very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minutes uh, more bang for your buck there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you also, under our rules, get the... Um, complete uh, box set of Red Dwarf oh, and yes. the Tiger I'm who came I'm wondering if I could swap that for Sex and the City. Mm, not sure. I'll have to check the <laughs> guidebook. And you also get the Tiger who came to oh, tea. Oh, yes, I'll enjoy that. What's your other luxury? Um, yeah, now, this is such a, such a tricky one and I might have to just be totally shallow and ask for loads of chilled red white wine and some <laughs> nicely warmed red right wine. Because there might be times when I just need to be obliterated <laughs> from this isolation. Oh, well, it sounds quite fun to me. <laughs> Heather Lawson, thank you very much for being my guest on Desert Isolation Discs. Any resemblance to any existing radio programme is, of course, coincidental. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much for listening.